everybody, and welcome to Prime Subjective. My name is Chris Newcomer, and I'm your host for this Star Trek podcast here from the South. I don't know what that voice was. I'm so sorry. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Prime oh, Subjective. Oh, yeehaw, Chris. Don't disavow your real action. Yeehaw. Welcome, yeah. welcome to the Prime Subjective. Uh, just a couple of young young folks from the South talking about Star Trek. You know. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to talk about, you know, uh, 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 Lower Decks, uh, Season 3, Episode 7, A Mathematically Perfect Redemption. We're also going to talk about Deep Space Nine, Season 1, Episode oh 18, God. Duet, which is an incredible, voice. incredible episode. Anyway, uh, I, can't, I can't sustain that for much longer. So I'm going to go back to this is how I really talk. Uh, hi, I'm Chris Newcomer, your host. With me, we have uh, Michael Hanley. Hey everyone, this is Gator, and I'm saying that because I'm a crocodile, and we're in a part of the country where nobody knows the difference between the two. Oh man, oh man, was I spiking that much too? <laughs> That's really good. We're doing some, we're doing some South bashing. I'm sorry, I apologize. I, well, we're all, we all have a lot of respect for the South, as yeah. does Jay Nim, who's also here. Hi everybody, this is Flatbed <laughs> coming to you with some crispy pork skin fried back salt back oh, wow. filet me. <laughs> I'm in mines. Filet in mine instead of filet in your. Okay, get like the that. real thing. That's okay. Okay, fair enough. I like that. I like that. I like that. And then I guess our third person, who I'm guessing will be from the south, <laughs> is Carrie Coleman Henners. Well, howdy, y'all. Don't mind me. I'm just here baking cookies for my man while they're at, oh, at no. work. <laughs> Well, good. Well, now that we've thoroughly uh, offended and pushed off anyone who possibly thought of viewing us from the South. Sorry, y'all. Uh, <laughs> we are the prime subjective and we are here to offend. Um, but uh, uh, I'm going to start with my this lovely Southern Belle we were just speaking with, Carrie Coleman. How You know what? How you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing just fine. I have a funny I have a funny, uh, funny thing happen to me the other day. I went to... Um, as I'm pregnant, which I think I've mentioned at least one time, I, I, uh, people feel like they want to talk to me all the time. It's fine because I'm like, I'm cool with it, but I can imagine a different, it always makes me think like if I was a different type of person, like, uh, but something about me and also me being pregnant, people just come up to me and they like ask me questions about pregnant <laughs> pregnancy and stuff. Well, anyway, Scott and I were at um, a dinner last Friday. We went to this Italian restaurant in town and we got there early. And so we were sitting like kind of first and it started filling up and we were done with our meal and uh, people were sitting next to us. And I had a hard time getting out of the booth to go to the bathroom. And as I got back, then I got back to my chair and I sat down and the woman right next to me, we were in like one of those long bench seatings. She goes, Oh, you're pregnant. I thought you were just fat. Jesus Christ. What? Jesus. <laughs> and that was, and I laughed so loud at that because it was just the most ridiculous thing that anybody has ever said to me and also quite hysterical. But it did, yeah. So that was really funny. She what, said, just what like makes that. people think they need to interject that kind of thing into any conversation? She was just sitting. I mean, like, it's not like we had previously been talking. Oh, like she yeah. was just somebody sitting at the table next to me, and that's all she said. Oh, you're pregnant. I thought you were just fat. 
I'm going to change my stat sheet on you that I'm keeping now that we've cleared up yeah. this fact. Like, so I laughed so think? loud and I was like, well, I might also be fat. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm pretty big right now. And she goes, oh, no, you're definitely pregnant. I'm like, thanks. Yeah, you're like, thanks. You know, my I wasn't sure when the doctor told me or when I felt a uh, literal butt <laughs> slash legs kicking yeah. my stomach. But now that you've said it, stranger, with no uh, filter, I'm so glad to know that I'm pregnant. That's really lovely. And then she like tried to take it back. She was like, oh, well, you know, not fat, but like, you know what I mean. And I'm like, yeah, you mean fat. You mean I'm a, you, you think I'm a big person, which I'm tall and very tall. I'm like five nine. You're yeah, you're tall. And uh, so my weight, when I gain weight, I fill out because I'm tall. I can't help it. Yeah. So anyway, also pregnant. <laughs> you should have flipped the table and said, I'm making life right now or something along those lines. I think that would have been a nice and like you could be like, whatever, it's a hormones. You could blame it on. Yeah. You know, that'd be a fun it's thing. not a baby. It's a tumor. It's a hernia. I am having medical issues. <laughs> I wish you had said that. Oh my God, it's not a baby, it's a hernia. Um, enjoy the rest of your meal. Yeah, that'd be, that's. Uh... Yeah. Some people just need yeah. to like get hit, you know? Well, no, yeah. okay, we're going to pull, we're going to do all that. No, like, like, what, like well, you know, the type of person to say that should have like gotten smack. Like, slapped yeah. once or twice yeah. when they were a kid and it wouldn't have happened. When uh, they were I, yeah, right, well, yeah. These I, are, these are I, Jane Nims. These, these are hot takes. These are hot takes. <laughs> these are some hot takes. Um, maybe the problem is that she did get hit a little Caca. too much. There you go. Um, People who get hit she... don't talk. Let me tell you firsthand. Okay, Jay. All right. Wow. Okay. Jay. Wow. Wow. We're going to. I want to hear more about we, this, we at Crossroads but... Comedy Theater, uh, these are not the ex views expressed or held by the folks at Crossroads Comedy Theater. Each person owns their own views. Um, I will say this. It's a lot like Twitter. It's like sometimes people tweet something and I'm like, hey, you didn't need to say that. That didn't need to go anywhere. You could have just said absolutely nothing and it would have been yeah. fine. And this is a similar sure. instance. And like sure. You could have said, excuse me, and, you're, and here you go. That's all you need to say in that situation. Well, I'm glad she said it to me because it was funny. <laughs> I get that. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, I, I like I like a good story, and as long as you're feeling good, that's that's but all. But that that's matters. what I mean by like, how do people think it's okay to say th things yeah. like this to other I mean, people because an they don't know what kind of person I am. They don't know right. how I'm gonna take it. They don't know. See, like... normally it's my friends who say things like that to me. They're like, "You're not fat, but you like leave a fat memory impression," and I'm like, "Cool, that's a <laughs> that's a neat thing to say." Um, but anyway, close your eyes, the <laughs> I just of think you. of you as fat, you know, which is number one fat is not a bad thing. And we, we always, oh. and I, we are a very fat phobic no. country and we use yeah. that word in such a derogatory way when in fact, fat people are wonderful and great and beautiful. Yeah. Anyway, Jane M. Are pivoting. Fat, you have fat. That's the difference. Anyway, yeah. continue on. Jane M. How are you? How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I could just continue my, my burgeoning diatribe from the previous conversation. Yeah. Well, we need to hear about your childhood. But maybe no, not no. now. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty. I'm pretty good. I got to um, perform with Carrie's improv team, the N Crowd, the illustrious yeah. N Crowd. Oh, two decades mm -hmm. worth of experience plus uh, in Ambler, Pennsylvania, at the lab. That was a lot. Excellent. Terrifying, exhilarating, and thrilling all at once. Yay. That's a nice theater. We just we just performed there a couple weeks, like a month ago too. That's great there. Yeah, it's such a cute theater. Cute yeah. is like and good, you know, good cute. Yeah. yeah, and and there was like speaking of people who needed to get hit, there was this one guy in the audience. Oh boy! <laughs> and he kept on, he kept on like 
we asked for suggestions and he kept on yelling Kensington or Trenton and he was clearly looking for some kind of social commentary or some sort of scene that veered into being like very um judgmental of the end crowd gets that a lot they're short form so they people like we like encourage people to yell at us so we just never know what we're gonna get (laughs) so we get we get yelled weird things a lot like there was oh do you remember that one guy who was doing like cricket sounds just for fun just to be a (laughs) jerk yeah that that happened to us when we were in ambler too though because we there were like some younger folks in the audience and we said we need a suggestion of something we we've been our new thing has been asking for um because we do a long form hour long show but we get one suggestion it was for um like a piece of advice or like a parable like a like a stitch in time saves not something like that and mm-hmm. some guy in the back just yelled orgasm as loud as he possibly could and i was yeah. like i don't recall that as being like yeah. a popular phrase of wisdom that's uh, right but then yeah, he wanted to take photos right. with us at the end and he was like definitely like 20 years old and i was like am i being punked am i like these this like young no. cool kid who yelled orgasm is making fun of us yeah. like <laughs> No, no he loved that it. cool if he thought that was so hilarious. Yeah, okay. no, it must be something it. very novel and you know mythical to him. No, I'm just, telling you, he must have just discovered the word for the first time. You know, you know that <laughs> thing where where you share something for the first time, and you're like, no one's ever heard of this before. It's like, yeah, we've yeah, all no. heard of this. Yeah. I I truly believe this about improv shows, at least from my experience, is that people who say those sorts of things and yell those sorts of things at you are the people who are enjoying it the most who will like go like yeah. back to work or school the next day and be like and um, i yelled orgasm and it yeah, was so yeah. funny and then yeah. they, and then after the show i got picked he's like look at these guys like those are the people yeah. that look are at these like uncomfortable really photos yeah. i took with the cats yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, and it's then. like that so i made a decision to not be too mad at them because they're like actually really i like that character. Yeah, that's good. And, and then there's significant just, other says when are you going to give me one Mm-hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> and then he says that's a myth and then it's just uh, yeah. uh, guess it um i just I, I i'm just imagining like him like going back to work and just like just being like and then i said orgasm and then just like it's just like he's talking to hr and just like yeah and getting yes, sent immediately to HR. Yeah. well no he's there he's there already it's just like yes that's why you're here actually because you say it all day yeah, every all day yeah and your coworkers are very uncomfortable Right. Or worse though, he actually is the a- HR department. And right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Actually, anyway. that's that that could track actually. But that could t- yeah. that could totally track. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you had fun with the end crowd. That's awesome. They they are a storied, wonderful team, and uh, that's fantastic. And none of them need to get hit. They're all great people. Oh, no. Goodness. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna really pivot off of that every time you bring it up. Hey, Mike Kenley. <laughs> hey, Mike, yeah. Mike Kenley, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing great. Um, just uh, spent a solid weekend uh just kind of out and about doing things um you know catching up with people over coffee uh going to halloween parties we have a wedding to go through go to next weekend it's really fun honestly can you guys believe the year is almost over um no way i don't, know. I don't like that yeah i mean i mean almost i mean 80 percent. you know like we still got two months to go but still like it's 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 getting there it's crazy yeah, That's I don't want crazy. this year to end. I've got a um I've got one of those milestone birthdays coming up in in uh, mm. 23 and I'm not really I'm trying to slow that down. Let's slow time yeah. until May. Yeah. Let's just slow it on down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Slow it down, guys. Mm-hmm. You know what we should do is we should go to that planet where Donna Murphy lives. 
uh, as an alien and uh, learn how to be in the moment and stop a waterfall in its tracks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll never get older because we live forever in the moment and we can take the card that it'll be great. And we, and we get to live with Donna Murphy, which is and wonderful. And we got to live with, Do- honestly, I would love to live with Donna Murphy. She is. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Chris, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, uh, last week we didn't record last week. I was I, away for, um, a work, uh, a work trip that I, Left for I had gone to Outfest on Sunday and left immediately from Outfest to the, get to my plane. So it turns out that you know a couple tequila sodas really makes check-in real smooth, which is nice. Uh, <laughs> it's a real relaxed trip to the airport, which is nice. Um, but yeah, then I was a uh, nice little work trip to Virginia, and then um, yeah, it's been a fun little doing fall things. We went hiking at the uh, Wissahickon on Saturday with some friends, and that was a lot of fun. And then we I painted a Star Trek pumpkin. Uh, which was fun because I was like, oh, I'll do something new. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to do what I always do, which is to make a next generation style communicator on a pumpkin. <laughs> and it looks great. It looks Excellent. freaking awesome. So yeah, I mess fun. with success. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel very good about oh, that. Oh, wow. I want to do great. that too. Yeah, thanks. I'm going to copy well. your idea. I think you should. And yours will actually look like a communicator. Because no. mine's like, it's like someone, you know, did a communicator in like bubble font from middle school. Oh, you know awesome. what I mean? <laughs> yeah that kind of thing anyway we are here not to talk about my incredible artistic skills but instead to talk about star trek specifically to start we're going to talk about star trek lower decks season one episode seven a mathematically perfect redemption i'm going to read a short synopsis and we're going to give a talk we're going to talk about uh how we felt about this episode um, so revisiting the aftermath of the events of the episode, no small parts, um, after teleporting out of the Cerritos while it is under attack to save herself, exocomp ensign peanut hamper finds herself <laughs> abandoned in space when the USS Titan saves the Cerritos. After she barely escapes Drukmani scavengers in a ship she built, she lands on a planet inhabited by winged fauna and a sentient species, the Aurorae, who are amazed by her technological abilities as time passes peanut hamper seems to change her mind about organic life forms which she used to despise after helping the aurora and falling in love with the chief's son who is a smoke show by the way the aurora revealed that their ancestors achieved space travel but war set them back to their native ways the Drukmani soon attack, seeking to scavenge the lost Aurora ship, starships. Uh, outnumbered Peanut Hamper sends a distress call, which is answered by the Cerritos. Peanut Hamper pleads for assistance, explaining how she's learned to be compassionate, but her p- pleas are thwarted when the Drukmani reveal to everyone that Peanut Hamper contacted them to take the ships. <laughs> and Peanut Hamper reveals that she has not changed and only wanted to trick the Cerritos into rescuing her <laughs> and forgiving her mutinous actions. She is placed in the self-aware megalomaniacal computer storage section on yes. Earth. Where uh, Agimus, Agimus, I forget how to say that one. Yeah. Agimus proposes an alliance, and that's from a previous episode as well, right? That, mm-hmm. uh, that yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. This is another great damn episode. They're really doing a Yeah. Really oh, my job. God. <laughs> <laughs> They've been kicking it, up, kicking it up a notch this yeah. season. Yeah. I feel like the back half, I don't know, don't uh, don't point me to this test, but I feel like I feel like this is the third season in a row where lower deck seasons, like the back half of the season is just on fire, honestly. And I, yeah. I, I thought this was great. I loved this. Yeah. Well, so many payoffs from not only in previous seasons, it's like they're paying off from, you know, earlier in the season, but now at season three, they have, they have their own mythology to pull from, which is a yes. nice thing, you know, mm-hmm. which makes it more fun. Yeah. 
that's great yeah because they had to start they had to develop their you guys you know it's like a herald in improv you have to the first, the first <laughs> once again never taken an improv you know, class so please explain to me what a herald the is first be, you're just ge- you're generating ideas you're introducing right. characters but then towards the end you're able to reference things call back things you know explore those ideas in depth um, just bringing it around to uh, improv uh, represent Crossroads uh, Comedy Ooh. Theater. Um, <laughs> I hear you can take improv classes there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's fun that they brought back Peanut Hamper. Um, what a fun idea. And I wonder if they had that idea when they wrote that original episode or it was um, like if it was something that was always on their minds to do. Or they, when they were coming up with ideas for this season, they were like, let's see an episode through Peanut Hamper's point of view after she uh, abandoned ship. But I liked it. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll bet you it was, uh, I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, but I mean, it does, it definitely feels like, it definitely feels like they had, you know, they, they, kind of you know just like a herald honestly and like they're they're yeah. they're formulating ideas but at the same time they already know not exactly where they're going to go with it but that they want to do something with it mm-hmm. um and i love the fact they have all this stuff stockpiled now and they they bring back the same voice actors and 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 yeah. i love any off model episode you know like any for any show honestly i love it when they have the bravery to just be like no we're going to keep the main cast off to the side we're going to follow the secondary character we're going to give a different perspective yeah. on things um we're oh going God, to it, it was like lower Decks extreme. It was like it was, lower, yeah. lower. It was it was the lower decks on lower decks. The lowest, yeah. the lowest decks. And it also. It also, um, you know, one thing I thought was cool, and I, I've had no, you know, very few, if any, complaints about lower decks so far. Honestly, I remember when the show started. It might be hard to believe, but there were some Star Trek fans who were basically like, this is going to be terrible. I know that sounds Mm. shocking, um, (laughs) but apparently they were out there. Um, And a lot of people were kind of remarking on the fact that Lower Decks was being uh, produced by some of the same people who have written for stuff like uh, other animated shows like Rick and Morty and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people were just saying, well, those are two fundamentally incompatible shows, Star Trek and Rick and Morty. You can't really do this. This definitely felt very much like a Rick and Morty episode, but somehow in a way that did not break the Star Trek of it all. They've been kind of keeping it reserved, but this was an episode where it really felt like let's go crazy, but still crazy in a way that kind of makes sense within this world. Um, and I really, yeah. really enjoyed how they walked that line. Mm-hmm. I I have to admit I was one of those people who was unsure That's of it in the beginning. Sure, yeah. Only because yeah. it wasn't. It was the animation style is not my favorite. Yes, uh, it's that yeah. sort of very simple um, simplicity, uh, simple style. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's probably a word for it, California style or something <laughs> like that. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'll look it that up. That California style cartoon. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, it, and it was like the the fast pacedness of it was jarring for me when it first sure. uh, yeah. when I was first watching it. So it did take me a little bit yep. to warm up to it. From the beginning, it just kind of felt like a hug from someone who had watched Star Trek. For yeah. me, at least, <laughs> like I I got the feeling that these people people who wrote the show had actually watched Star Trek, and mm-hmm. were making something that that ripped it out of love. And that was enough. Like, I don't know. I don't look at it much more deeply than that. 
Um, and I'm happier as a result. Like if I was <laughs> analyzing it for like story beats or whatever, it might like seem. Yeah, if this might, is an episode might... of Discovery, Jay would have different, it would be a different uh, analyzation. Well, <laughs> the two shows take, like don't, one show takes yeah. itself very seriously and right. one does not. And so like, yeah. respect that, you know? Yeah. Not everything I, needs to be in the center, yeah. the Criterion collection. I definitely appreciate that they're able to be this goofy and not take themselves seriously, but at the same time, like have like very Star Trek plot lines and storylines and still be able to explore those issues and relationships and still be goofy. Mm -hmm. I think they and only have 30 minutes to do it and it's an animation. So I mm -hmm. think I think they're finding a good balance. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Any episode that has a tiny little robot have sex with a hawk man is definitely it's yeah it's doing multiple something. times like it multiple was times yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah it is I, it is you know a big swing big swing that, hawk, yeah. that guy that I knew when he first came out like classic like rom com <laughs> moment where like the, the handsome prince comes out and he's like I can't I I, I you're disgusting me I can't even and I'm like oh this is a they're setting up a romance <laughs> here I've seen I've seen romantic comedies that's just, it was so fun. Yeah, for sure. And I also love seeing like the um, one of my favorite Star Trek tropes. It's like a, a a civilization that used to have more power than Star Trek has ever seen, but has given it yeah. up for whatever reason. So they've gone right. back to the more native way. But so, somehow yeah. that these ships from like thousands of years ago come out and kick everybody's ass. Yeah. <laughs> Which that I feels enjoy very that. familiar to me, though. I yeah. can't pick out the ep exact episode or reference, but it feels very familiar to me. Yeah. Um. I also love that I didn't get, if they said it, I missed it, but I didn't get it until Boimler said it at the end. He was like, it's from the planet Areolas. Are, areolas? Are, areolas? <laughs> that was another of my favorite parts. Mm -hmm. the, the one part of this episode that sort of stretched, stretched like my disbelief was this the sort of act one where Peanut Hamper is in the is in the owl village and she's sarcastically commenting at everything and they can understand her and they sort of pretend not to hear her when it's inconvenient <laughs> it's like, yeah. i don't know they can hear her right and how right. condescending she is but it was yeah. it was really funny i didn't mind i don't know if yeah. it's funny i don't mind i don't mind writing it off as implausible well, it's just like on Golden Girls when Sophia is just saying all the mean things to all the girls. And then as an acting choice, they just had to choose to laugh at it because it's what was written in the script. <laughs> so they can't, you know, they have to, they just have to go with the, uh, the flow. Yeah. She's like a Sophia. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah. yeah. Have, have we, have we had a Star Trek episode where the advanced people like beam down to a less technologically advanced society and just sarcastically rip it to shreds? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. That's a first, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is a first. <laughs> Well, I like kind of the oh, boy. Uh, oh you come out again, Mike. Oh, sorry. Okay, yeah, no, I kind of like how if they it's it's them kind of even doing like the you know the infinite combinations, infinite diversity kind of thing, where it's just like just like okay, we rescued her. She's kind of a dick. We just have to you just have to get used to it. She's like it's just it's that's that's her culture apparently. Right. You know, like they don't make it explicit. Mm -hmm. but it almost feels just like 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 you know progressive and accepting almost to a fault, kind of you know. Mm -hmm. There was another bit they kept doing with the um, what's his name, Road, Road, the handsome prince guy, Rodor. Rada, 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 yeah. Rada. They were doing this funny bit where he was like, 
come with me. I have to show you something. <laughs> but uh-huh. he did it like several times. It's 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 pure avatar that we're riffing on here, right? Yeah, like yeah, that's a hundred percent what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um more fun names in this episode, by the way. So there's Rada and the aliens are named the uh the the, the Ariori and uh uh also apparently Caltaurus. Yep. <laughs> which um is a choice yeah, a choice yeah. yeah that's a the choice yeah tribe. yeah uh-huh. the funniest of all peanut hamper yeah <laughs> it's the best name for sure yeah i love oh it i goodness. just I, I give a little giggle every time someone says it for some reason and i still remember the scene from first year when mm-hmm. tendy named it because it was just so i don't know i don't know why it's so funny but it is to me did Tendi name it? I thought that was something that Peanut Hamper came up with on her own because she was it? Oh, like a computation yeah. of all You're the right. best that's... names, and that's what the best yeah, name. Right. Was. I believe that's correct. You're right. Yeah, that's that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Here's here's two fun facts about this episode. Um, do you know who the voice of the Drukmani captain is? Yes, JG Hertzler. Yeah, Marta. Really? Yeah. 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 Yeah, <laughs> and who the voice of Agimus Agimus is? Oh yes, we talked about this well, last right. week, yeah. or the week before. Jeff, yeah, Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, because yeah. uh, he, yeah, yeah, he yeah. showed up last season uh, as that character. Mm-hmm. Right. I recognize his voice immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, Great he's yeah. just literally in every single damn series. I mean, he's just like everywhere mm-hmm. doing all the things. The, for yeah, pretty much. We're yeah, for it. I agree. I agree. I love but the megalomaniac. The voice... Yeah. The voice of Sulu was, and the next episode was Sulu. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sulu, played by Sulu. Surprise, yes, yes. (laughs) Um, I love the megalomaniacal self-aware computer uh, storage (laughs) facility. I was crossing my fingers for a... um for a uh, Moriarty moment there, but you know, this is good too. Mm-hmm. But it would have been cool mm-hmm. to have like, yeah. you know, Moriarty coming out of his their holodeck prison to be like, That feels minute. like something that Lower Decks will get to eventually. I if we give so. Lower Decks enough time, I think I think they'll get there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have definitely not seen the last of Peanut Hamper, right? I mean, that ending oh, alone sure. is a pure hook for more. It might even lead into the, I mean, Picard season two takes place many years after what we're seeing right here. It might even, they might even be teeing that up. Um, you know, and that, we still that, haven't yeah. seen the um, Strange New Worlds crossover yet, right? We're still waiting oh. on that for, from, from this? Yeah, is that apparently. On lo- but is that a lo- on a Lower Decks episode or a Strange New Worlds episode? Oh, I don't I know. think it's a Strange New Worlds episode, which yeah, means we'll see I it think, next year. Oh. I think we have to wait for Strange New Worlds. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Although I would love the crossover to happen both ways. I'd love it to be Apparently there's a bromance crossover. between Boimler and Spock, and I need to see yeah. it. I need to see it. <laughs> um, That'd be great. Yeah. yeah. There's one scene in this episode that I really wish had been stretched out, which is where before you learn that Peanut Hamper engineered the whole situation of the Drukmani coming to scavenge so that Peanut Hamper could be the hero. Um, Peanut Hamper is accepted back to Starfleet and then Rada Rada offers to come back and it's like a motivated husband, a loving husband also come on the ship. And I would love for that to be a really long, awkward scene where Peanut Hamper's like, Thanks. Yeah, you don't. You don't want. You don't need Come to do that. It's fine. <laughs> it's funny. Wow. I feel like Peanut Hamper is up there with the top Star Trek villains now. At this point, it's like Gold Dukat, you know, Khan, Peanut, Peanut Hamper. She's, she, she, she's just so like petty and what? Like, there's. I, I, I think the. Um, 
the the voice casting i wish i could i i can't articulate why but like there's a way to do this character where it's irritating as hell but for some reason i was not irritated at all i was just absolutely entertained by just like the pettiness and the sarcasm and just the you know the selfishness just giving ways to like bigger levels of selfishness kind of like yeah. like it's 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 the evolution of like we we've always seen ai stories of basically just like i choose you know like moriarty like i choose not to be a villain or i choose to be a villain and so it's just like i choose to be a dick like yeah. i just think that's, that's yeah. so entertaining the I ultimate yeah ultimate voice- um selfishness at, at, the, at the core <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think that the voice actress who does Peanut Hamper is also, I read that she does also um, roles on Tuca and Birdie, which is another show about bird people, which I true. thought was interesting. That's true, yeah. I uh, haven't really Ka- watched that yeah. show, so I don't know. Heather Donahue, right? Yeah. Is the, yeah, yeah. The, is the actress, which who was on, she is a, she's, she's a voice actor and she's also a live action actor. Uh, uh, I guess you could just say she's an actor. Um, yeah, well, she's, yeah. uh, cause she was on, uh, she was on You're the Worst too, which she, she was great on that show. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Kether Donahue. All right, Peanut Hamper. Mm-hmm. You got it going on. Hope we that. see mm-hmm. more of you. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope we do too. I, I think that we've done a nice job covering uh, this old episode and now i'm gonna uh, jay i believe it's your do i have this no. right no it's michael henley. oh no it's it's me i'm sorry michael yeah. henley that that's I'm gonna okay hand, hand the reins over the to you to um to uh to discuss uh duet from deep space nine yes. uh, season one and uh, you Absolutely. have my permission as well <laughs> thank, you. Thank, you. Permission as well. <laughs> thank you um i when we were debating episodes to talk about um I, it's tough for me sometimes to make top lists because I don't know, things change all the time, but this one always gravitates towards the very top of not just this show, which is my favorite Star Trek show, uh, but of all Star Trek, honestly, I think of all time. Um, and I know it's a long and varied list and, and all that kind of stuff, but um, nowadays, Deep Space Nine is definitely has the reputation of, oh, it's a great show. But there's a lot of people who often say, well, it turns into a great show once the war starts and everything. Um, And they're right. The show definitely improves as it goes along. But when people say the first two seasons are kind of a chore to get through, I'm always like, "Mm, yes and no. Are there weak episodes in the first couple seasons? Yes. Do I recommend that you skip them? Absolutely not. Some people say that. I I just don't, don't appreciate it. Because you get episodes like this one, which really could only take place in the first season of the series. It's very built in the world of rebuilding Bajor and trying to figure out a whole bunch of different things post the occupation. And really kind of this also, I mean, this is a notable episode for so many different reasons. Uh, I think this is Nana Visitor's favorite episode, um, even you know after by the end of the show, she still said this was her favorite episode. Um, and it's such a meaty role for Kira right from the start. Um, So the plot of this episode is um, there is a um, visitor to the space station who uh, is beamed to the infirmary because he needs some treatment for a uh, disease that he is undergoing called Kalinora syndrome. And this gets Kira Norris's attention because Kalinora is, there's only one way someone can get Kalinora syndrome, and that's because it was a side effect of, due to a mining accident, I believe, uh, during that one of the labor camps uh, on Bejor during the Cardassian occupation. So clearly, 
this is a Bajoran who she would like to meet because he's basically a hero. Except it turns out he's not a Bajoran, he's a Cardassian. Um, and this definitely alarms Kira. Um, and essentially, you know, she gets Odo to put him in prison. And this puts Cisco in a very awkward position because this man claims to be just a Cardassian citizen. Um, and Kira is absolutely certain that he must be a war criminal because that's the only way being at that labor camp, he could have contracted this disease. Um, and there's a distinction that she kind of understands and kind of denies in that, you know, if someone was present at this labor camp, Galatep, then they're just as guilty maybe as any Cardassian who's there. All Cardassians are guilty. Um, so there's an investigation that follows because now Cisco is put in the position of trying to put make two different governments happy. The Bajorans are convinced he is a war criminal. They almost don't care if they're accurate. They want him to try and you know potentially be executed. Meanwhile, the Cardassians, Goldicott, um, want him back because from their perspective, they're detaining a Cardassian citizen. So an investigation follows. Kira is put in charge of the, uh, of the investigation after um, really arguing for it very strongly. And I think, and ultimately what this episode goes, gets down to is a series of conversations between Kira and this man whose identity keeps changing from scene to scene and so every conversation is a little bit different. Um, there are moments of confusion about what's happening. There is certainty from Kira's perspective about what's happening. And she's kind of met in turn, but in, you know, kind of on these turns by this Cardassian who is very theatrical. You definitely get the sense he's hiding something. Um, he's definitely lied about a couple things, but none of his story adds up. Even when he changes his story, it still doesn't add up. Um, and eventually he assumes, eventually he claims to be the leader of this uh, labor camp, uh, the, the, the commandant basically of this labor camp, um, and kind of owns the quote unquote war crimes, although he doesn't really, you know, he kind of rankles at the term because you know for for there to be war crimes there would have to be a war he says um he owns it and he owns the cardassian superior superiority over bajorans he owns uh everything that needed to be done he owns everything monstrously and even still there are twists in this episode um i'm i'm severely hoping that you know anyone who's listening to this watch the episode first i beg you beg you please um if you haven't it's a little bit too late now but that's okay um and uh, there's so many twists in this, and ultimately what this comes down to is this is an episode about um, the difference between th – th this. it's kind of uh, state-sanctioned revenge, um, and ultimately what the problems with that is. Uh, and I think the state-sanctioned part is important because Kira is really operating – uh, you know, very, very passionately. She firmly believes in what she's doing, and but with the support of her government, um, which post-occupation is looking for as many fingers to point at Cardassians as possible. And she is in a position of every Cardassian needs to pay for what happened during the occupation. Um, and so as this man's identity keeps changing, it almost kind of doesn't matter. And when 
the it when it changes in her favor as in she's caught someone bigger than she actually expected or thought it mainly just gives her an excuse to be more strident and a little bit more um uh you know a, a little bit more uh aggressive um and pained about what you know about what this above what the Cardassians put everyone through. And so there's a lot of details here about the Bajoran occupation and how it all worked out. Um, and, uh, you know, this is the episode, I think the first episode that really solidifies um, a lot of the reference points for the uh, Cardassian occupation of the Bajorans as being definitely a lot of Holocaust reference points in this episode. Um, and uh, this episode was inspired by uh, a 1970s movie, called The Man in the Glass Booth, which is uh, about uh, a man who is kidnapped by uh, Mossad agents and taken back to Israel because they believe he is a Nazi war criminal and needs to be tried um, and convicted and hanged. And he is given a defense attorney as kind of a show trial. And then this defense attorney really starts to suspect that maybe this person is not who he seems and he might not be guilty of anything, um, which is not something that really makes him popular in, you know, uh, amongst his employers. Um, and it becomes this really, really interesting moral quandary about searching for searching for revenge um, when something horrible has happened, you know, in this case, to an entire planet. Um, and just the the trauma of that, and the looking for someone to blame, and the um, you know the 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 ability to pretty much paint an entire race with the same brush. And I, I think there's there so many things I love about this episode. First of all, it's incredibly well told. Uh, this is a very very tightly plotted episode. Uh, I think that if you ever asked me to teach a writing course about Star Trek. Um, and you know, brought in had to bring him some examples. I would actually probably make this one of them because it's a very, very small show. It's entirely dialogue driven. It's basically about people entering and leaving rooms just with different packets of information as the story progresses. And it's so well told through that dialogue. There's exceptionally strong dialogue in this episode. Um, uh, the, uh, the the Cardassian who sometimes goes by the name Amon Maritza, sometimes by, goes by the name Goldar Heel, the butcher of Galatep, the war criminal to end all war criminals. It's played by Harris Yulin, uh, who is a phenomenal character actor, shows up in a bunch of different things. He really makes a meal out of the role here. Um, and it's, you know, kind of a two-hander between him and Nana Visitor, who I think is Deep Space Nine's secret weapon. I think this is one of the episodes where they kind of learn that very, very early on. Uh, she's tremendous in this episode. And, um, you know, it just, you know, I, I, what, what I love, too, is that this is an episode that by this point in the series, you are really on Kira's side. You really like her. And when she is talking about the horrors of the occupation, and then she is talking about what Bajor needs in order to get to get through it. You believe her and you don't, there's no real second guessing, you know, the script never really tips its hand and her performance doesn't either. It never really tips its hand into this idea that she's kind of barking up the wrong tree a little bit, or at the very least that, that, you know, her passion is a problem here because one of Maritza's strategies throughout the entire episode is he manipulates her. 
um, and he kind of stokes her anger and he deflects things that could be a problem. He kind of, you know, kind of kicks them away very, very secretly. Like the, 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 the dialogue scenes are so immaculately written to you watch the episode again, you see what he's doing and how he's trying to control the conversation and how, because she's so angry, they end up going in a direction that she kind of wants to go in. And cause that's the point, because at the end of this episode, it's revealed that um, he, he bats between two different identities, uh, Galdar heel, who is the war criminal and Eamon Maritza, who is um, who was a file clerk who worked for Goldar Heel. Um, Cause ultimately where this episode lands is he is Eamon Maritza pretending to be Goldar Heel, including with plastic surgery because he's doing this for a very specific reason. He's doing this because he did work at the labor camps and didn't do anything. Um, you know, he was just one person and he cowered and hid and, and, and he was just, he was a standard issue um, you know, he was in, you know, in, in, in much the same way that the, the Holocaust was, you know, made happen by not just evil people, but, you know, people who had no choice but to kind of go along with things um, and who were scared to do something or could have done something, but would, it wouldn't have mattered. And all it would have done would, 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 was kill you. And, 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 and just the negotiation you have to make with yourself about what that says about you, what you're willing to what, what what you're going to do in a situation like this. <clears throat> and so he is Maritza and he's assuming Goldar Heel's identity so that he can be caught, tried, and sentenced to death so that Cardassia on some way has to reckon with their guilt because Cardassia walked away from the occupation, basically just kind of clapping their hands and just saying that to, they're, they're done with it. And this is... Mm his tiny attempt to create some kind of reckoning between the two races. Um, and, you know, and, and he's all right with the fact that he's going to die from it because he's been kind of living his life, kind of walking backwards ever since what happened during the occupation. And so he's fully prepared to die basically in order to make his point. Um, um, the way the episode ends is that Kira actually discovers this and she refuses to go through with this and sets him free. And he's killed on the promenade actually by, in just a hate crime by a Bajoran. Um, and, and so he dies and, you know, that reckoning doesn't happen, nor does he go back to his home life. It just, you know, it, it, it just, and, you know, kind of the, 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 the cycle of hate kind of continues. This is such a powerful episode. It's really, really strong. I'll, I'll, I'm sorry. I, I talked a lot, basically. <laughs> I feel like I could talk so much about this episode, about so many different things, but I, I just want to say one thing before I, I guess, we'll, you know, which is that um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so passionate about this episode. Um, again, I talked about the performances. There's so many great ones, great, great bits here, including um, everything that Maritza does uh, that uh, Harris Yulin does but especially towards the end when he breaks down and be kind of starts as Darheel and becomes Maritza when he finally kind of gives the game away but there's a moment mm -hmm. earlier where uh Kira still believing that he's gold Darheel and he's kind of laying into the role um Cardassians are so theatrical I, I I love the fact that he gives him so many villain speeches and then makes that the point that this is what she wants to hear um but he has a line there's there's a chilling line where she where they're talking about what happened and she mentions genocide and he says what you call genocide i call a day's work mm -hmm. and that 
line is chillingly delivered, but then it cuts to Nana Visitor's face, and this is her exiting the scene, and she almost stumbles away from it, almost, almost too horrified but what's just her almost and it's the one moment of her kind of realizing well you know of realizing i wanted him to say it say something like that but now that he did i realized i didn't want this at all um and it's so well done um i love this episode so much guys i'm sorry i do i love it (laughs) no it's a phenomenal episode i've been nodding my head to everything you've been saying yeah for sure absolutely i think if nothing else watch this episode just for the performances like Harris mm-hmm. um Yellen Yulin Yulin Harris Yulin oh my god such yeah. an amazing performance amazing actor and he's one of these actors that are so you've probably seen him in so many things but you probably don't know it um but he's like this classically trained Shakespearean actor I mean it's 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 incredible to watch but I think, yeah, the story, now that I know that it was based on a something that was based on the Holocaust, it was it's very yeah. it's very obvious Holocaust um, themes to it. So it does bring up a lot of those questions and a lot of those themes. but the 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 theatricality of this episode, there's no action. It's just like watching mm-hmm. um a play. It's like mm-hmm. a play. Mm-hmm. It's really great episode, yeah. Oh, I had I, the thought that, um, you know, if Patrick Stewart were not such a handsome sort of leading man actor, mm-hmm. he would end up in roles like this a lot because he's got the, yeah. the chops to do these kinds of things, but yeah. doesn't get the chance because he's not, he's always yeah. going to be, you know, the, the, yeah, that's, I think, the, but yeah, obviously it's that, that classical there, training that allows there him to. There was be. no breakout role for Harris uh, Ulan. There, to like catapult him into like an everyday household name but he's right his check out his imdb it's very exciting. well that's oh, the yeah. dream you just work all the time you yeah. don't have to worry about being famous yeah, that's he works. Mm-hmm. He's, mm-hmm. yeah he's working he's a working actor so um, yeah i guarantee you yeah if, if you check his imdb anyone listening i guarantee you've seen him in a bunch of things um yeah well, that's a, that's the strength of D, of DS9 uh, as opposed to the other other uh, series is that it, ha- it has that ensemble cast theatrical feeling to it. Mm-hmm. All of the episodes are like that, and I think what you were saying about you know the initial haters of DS9 saying it isn't as good in the first season, I think it was good. I think it just took people longer to tune into it. I think yeah. so too. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Cause it's a diff- very different style than other things that you've watched. Well, I think when, when people talk about the early seasons, they definitely talk about, I think it all depends on what you think about Bajoran politics, which I, you know, th- this show is kind of a keystone TV show for me in a lot of ways. Cause I think this show is what kind of got me interested in like political stories. Um, so I have a real soft spot for anything that's about Bajoran politics in the first couple of seasons because it's very, um, you know, Bajoran because, politics or Cardassian politics. Well, they're very but, different. Well, they, they different. are, but they're so intertwined. Honestly, you almost can't <laughs> yeah. tell a story about one without the other. Right. Um, you know, and and because, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Go no, go ahead. Well, Mike, you you uh, you you have an excellent summary and analysis of this episode. Um, there is one part of it that I that I sort of, I think there's one sort of uh, part of it that I think bears mentioning, which is that the Cardassians didn't quite just manage to wash their hands of, the, of the Bajoran occupation. Like they certainly aren't feeling 
guilty about it, but it right. is like a very much a wound on their national pride. And for this yeah. aggressive yeah. militaristic species yeah. that prides itself on its empire and culture to not be able to break the backs of a, spe of a species yeah. and to be revolted against is sort of a wound they're still smarting from. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's it's I it's think a, even if yeah. you have a Holocaust story, um, and there's a lot of people, of course, that were bad, evil people, but it's very hard to lump a whole species of people into that. Um, so I think this was a very excellent episode to show that, you know. Um, the uh, Cardassians are Cardassians. They're they're liars. They're deceitful. They have different, you know, moral standards. They have different ethical values. But that doesn't mean that they all wanted to commit atrocities to yeah. Uh, yeah. other races necessarily. Um, so I, I thought like it's a very interesting exploration of that um, idea. Yeah. And, and and just the idea that, you know, as much as you might hate someone, as, as much as you might hate this person, you know, who didn't commit atrocities, but stood by and worked in the office when it happened. Yeah. But the fact that the ultimate twist is that he hates himself more than you could ever possibly hate him is such yeah. a is such a striking moment. Well, some people might also lump him into that category. So, you, you're if you if you've done nothing, you're just as bad as the people who who yeah. did things. So it is. Well, also, yeah, it's like it's like the Swiss during World War II. It's like we didn't do anything, but also did you profit off of this? But war? also, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. They, they shot yeah. down Allied and Axis planes that flew over them. Mm -hmm. They were truly neutral. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, like nobody's flying over us. Thank you very much. Um. um yeah. And 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 that's a cool storytelling beat in this episode because Kira, before they discover, quote unquote, that he's Goldar Heel, before he leans into the role, you know, and Kira has to reckon with the fact that he might just be a file clerk. And like she's kind of stepping over the fact that really technically he is he would not be a war criminal. Um, there's this great moment where um, you know, they're they're about to look at a file and says, So what if he's just a file clerk? What are you, what are we going to do? You know, and she's like, and she's like, I assume you're going to let him go, yeah. you know, and and kind of acid. And he's basically just like, cool, glad we understand each other. Um, and she, and she has imagine, a reaction to that. Of like, yeah, oh. no, I could also imagine a situation where, you know, the U.S. steps in. Um, I don't know. They're doing really horrible things in uh, Russia right now. So the U.S. steps in and everybody that did something horrible, whether they were a file clerk or in charge, everybody's going to be, you know, yeah. take hold, held accountable for it. Yeah. They're not going to they're not going to sit sit there and argue nuances of it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That, uh, like the, the state sanction part of this kind of really kind of get because it's it's that makes it official that puts an official stamp on it in a way like mm -hmm. everything that Kira is doing you know if she kind of offered him up basically the the Bajorans would say sure no problem and everything would be fine uh and I love that it's just a tiny little subplot the fact that Cisco's kind of caught in the middle he's getting phone calls from both Bajor and Cardassia uh Goldukat mm -hmm. um this is a, this is the first like great like I think you know Goldukat shows up in the first episode of DS9 but this is the first time they really start like kind of playing with him and seeing how he kind of plays off people and everything oh um, and you know what speaking of that i mm -hmm. i wrote i made a note gold ducat was on zoom the whole time he was yes he was there. yes he was he was, was. Yeah. He was on he zoom was yeah originally yeah. it was all you know an online 
on online chat, video chat with Gold Ducat the whole yeah, time. Just one day of it's shooting true. for him, and then he's back back off the call. I know, right? Yeah. 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 That's nice. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Go ahead, Jay. Yeah. To your to your point about this being a really well written show, they get to the 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 end of the second, the end of Cisco talking to Dakot, and where you realize like, oh my, this is a this is a, a potential catastrophe where Cisco has to manage the the expectations of two nation states and deal with a possible war criminal who's mm -hmm. not being a cooperative witness. But those stakes are established by minute nine, yeah, of this episode, and it's forty, yeah. it's like forty seven minutes long. So they yeah. like mm -hmm. get there. And it doesn't mm -hmm. feel rushed, like it's all earned, yeah. and then yeah. you just sit in the drama. Oh, and that's so good. that. That's such a great, especially because it gives the drama a lot of breathing room to play for the remainder of the episode. But one thing I really like about that too is that, I, again, you know, this is why D Space Nine is my favorite because that happens so early in this episode. You know, it it creates just this moment, which in the first season it's so desperately needed. I thought it achieved this of like establishing the idea that oh deep space nine is dangerous like cisco's job is not a job you might like like picard is the wish fulfillment captain just like kirk is right but cisco as much as i love cisco deep space nine more than any other show shows the parts of his job where you would go like i would not want this job i would not want this job at all uh i have to you know keep all these people happy and i do this and i have to prep bajor for you know uh, entering the Federation and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know how to juggle all these things, especially when they're in direct contradiction. And just, it, it really creates this idea of, oh, Deep Space Nine is dangerous. Like, you know, the slightest yeah. thing could cause huge, huge problems and nations could get offended and bad things could happen. Yeah. Um, there was so a, the, and the Bajoran at the end who um, murdered uh, our, our main actor guy, he... That was such an interesting, um, I loved, I liked how it ended because I think that just added to its theatrical nature to it. Like yeah. it, 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 it became more of a question of, oh, Bajor is not going to forgive any Cardassian, no matter who they are. Mm -hmm. um, I, that's how deep this goes. They're going to just say all Cardassians are bad. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking about that ending because like the, the, the tiniest part that kind of throws me a little bit is the idea of someone um, dying from a knife wound when the infirmary is right there. Right. Yeah. But, there's a question. Yeah. There's but, a question that yeah. I have also yeah. about um, um, murders and deaths on Star Trek because sometimes they're reversible, sometimes they're not. Good sometimes point. you can get like a new heart, but if yep. you get stabbed randomly, you can die. Sometimes you can just bring people back after being dead for a couple minutes and mm -hmm, mm -hmm, fix them mm -hmm. up and they're good. And sometimes you can't. So there's a little sure. bit of an inconsistency around <laughs> uh, death on Star Trek. Um, Very much. Yeah, Kira could have we... called for an emergency transport to the infirmary right there. But no, yeah. she's like, oh, no, yep. you're dying. But <laughs> yeah, he's gone. But I appreciate the it feels right that he dies with her over him, you know, because that, it, it feels yeah. right that he dies that way, even, yeah, if you have to squint a little bit yeah. to compare like the logic. Because one of the things I love about this too is that the fact that it's not an assassination that takes yeah. him out, not really, because it's not somebody who believes he's Guldar heel and is out for revenge. It's a guy, it's just, it's, it's just a guy committing a hate crime. Because, you know, that is... Yeah, he doesn't care a, who he is. He doesn't, he doesn't care who he is. He is. He's he a Cardassian. Yeah. Yeah, he don't care. And to hear that kind of, like, that lack of distinction, you know, 
it's not the exact same words, but it's very similar to stuff that Kira was saying in the very beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and it, her line at the end was like, yeah. no, it, it's not. It's yeah. not okay. It's not. She she delivered that line very well, I think. And, and j- just to put all that, you know, kind of put that same sentiment into like the mouth of a murderer, you know, basically by the end of the episode and show you just how far she's come. Um, but also the way the show really kind of gets you on her side early on. So like you, the viewer, really do feel like, you know, like they they give you just enough, um, you know, dialogue from Kira about the brutality of the occupation, mm-hmm. um, very specific detail, um, mm-hmm. and in a way that really, you know, makes you repulsed as well, so much so that you are on board with Kira's interrogations. Like, we are going to get to the truth here, yeah. and someone's going to pay for it, you know? And then I, as the I love as yeah. a character, I'm just going to cut you off. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, no. You can... <laughs> I'm just going to start talking. <laughs> As a character, I love how confrontational Kira, uh, Kira Norris yes. is. I mm-hmm. just love how she doesn't even think twice before confronting anybody. And that's like mm-hmm. a really admirable quality that you don't find in a lot of uh, people. But in Kira, she's like, no, I'm going to go talk to him right now. When she's like one of the first women on Star Trek that we see them write mm-hmm. this way, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and at which yeah. we know plenty of women are this way, but this mm-hmm. has not been reflected in Star Trek until yeah. Major Kira. This mm-hmm. yeah. goes yeah. also kind of that way. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is which, why they're such a good match. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's sort of counterintuitive, yeah. but like mm. there's there's one after there's well at the beginning when Cisco's decided to put Odo in charge of the investigation instead of Kira, she mm-hmm. says like, oh, "Sir, I know you think this is some sort of personal like you think this is some sort of personal vendetta on my part, don't you?" And he goes, "I think you're too close to be objective." Yes, like he doesn't shy away from it. He's like. Yeah, yeah, and here's why. <laughs> yeah. Well, you expect it. You expect it from the leader. You expect it. Like, you hope that the commander or the captain in Starfleet is going to be that way. Mm-hmm. So when you see another character that's like that, it's, like, kind of empower- empowering. Yeah. I, I think. Yeah, I, yeah I, I agree. And, like, there's that built-in friction because of the fact that, you know, Kira is Cisco's first officer, but she kind of reports to the Bajoran authorities as right. well. She mm-hmm. kind of has two different bosses. Um, and I, I like how they reestablish that in this episode very, very, very quickly by the fact that the Bajoran government knows about what's going on very rapidly. Like, she definitely told them, yeah. you know, because she, <laughs> she doesn't have to go through Cisco. And when Cisco is making moves to, no, I'm going to make the choice, I'm going to put Odo in charge of this, you know, she has an edge to her where she says like well the federation you know has no business deciding what we do with our war crime like it's this really you know kind of like edgy moment of like uh, of you know like early ds9 is very big on kira's i do not trust the federation and i love when stuff like that comes up a little bit because you see exactly where she's coming from yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's a super interesting character because she doesn't trust the Federation, but we find out a little bit later how she does see Cisco as a religious figure because she does have that spiritual side. So she's mm-hmm. balancing like working so closely with somebody that she reveres as a a, a spiritual guide, but mm-hmm. also working for the Federation, but also working for Bajor. And also having to work with Cardassians. So there's a lot of things that this character is uh, uh, balancing. Oh, yeah. She's holding a lot of, a, a, yeah. a lot of different identities and uh, mm-hmm. spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something else. Whenever Odo is on the scene, the way 
something about this actor, something about how they how they shoot him or how the director does it or the lighting, but it always I always feel like we've entered a different show. We've entered like director um, Detective Odo's show now. Like this <laughs> is like we're gonna solve a mystery. We're gonna get to the bottom of this. Like, it has that gritty detective drama feeling whenever Odo is <laughs> involved in anything. And um, even if it's just like a scene, he's like, he's not, he's not the main, it's not the main uh, plot of this story, but Odo is there and he's on the case. He'll get to the bottom of it. And I, I love, I love that about that character. This is, the, yeah. The, oh, God, sorry. Oh, nothing. I was also going to mention that Quark was only in one scene, but he <laughs> added just, he added just like the right amount of levity because mm -hmm. it's such a heavy episode and he was mm -hmm. like sort of in the middle and i did like, like oh, that yeah look at all of these survivors isn't that horrible to have lived through something like that do you think they want to play Davo? Like the gamble? <laughs> yeah. and and it was just like at that moment in the show because it was so heavy we just needed that little bit yeah. of uh mm -hmm. release so i thought that was good <laughs> meanwhile meanwhile armin schmerman was like I got to put on all this makeup for one Like month? four hours? <laughs> I'm done by lunch. Can well, we do man. my scenes yeah. for next episode as well? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's like a similar, uh, there's a similar piece of dialogue between Odo and Dukat that just says so much about their characters in two lines. Yeah. Where, yeah. where Dukat says, oh, I miss our games of Kalibi and Montar. And mm -hmm. Odo says, as I recall, we played one game and you cheated. <laughs> And then Dukat just laughs heartily. Yeah. So good. Read into that so much. Yeah. There's so many. This is this is the beginning of great Dukat moments because yes, yeah. that moment's great. And I love his conversation with Cisco earlier because like it's more serious, but like I still found it funny in that Jay, you were talking about earlier about like the the wounded pride of Card of the Cardassians wandering away from the occupation, yeah. basically. And they have an exchange where uh, you know, Dukat is like. I understand you're in a tough position, Cisco. I'm not angry at you. These Bajorans, basically, they're searching for vengeance. You know, it's so distasteful. And then Cisco, you know, to kind of show you kind of what corner he's secretly in, is basically just like, I guess if you were a Bajoran, the occupation was also pretty distasteful. <laughs> but, 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 and, and then Dukat is basically just like, I'd like to remind you that neither of us are a Bajoran. In a way, it's just like, it's, it's not that it's a great line in of itself, but just the way it's delivered. It's such a great, like, it's great, like, well, you know what? It doesn't really matter what we think so what any mm -hmm. of us think so you know what F yeah. fuck you buddy you know like like it's like yeah. uh, why don't you or, uh, why don't you go or, fuck yourself kind of thing it's very funny or is it one sort of imperialistic overlord species talking to who they think is another imperialistic overlord species being mm -hmm. like why are I, you yeah. empathizing with your yeah what's weird yeah, yeah. wrong with you yeah like, ew you like bajorans what's like, wrong with you like treat them like the servants like seriously there's a lot of like yeah there's so many layers a lot to of it. colonizer energy colonizer uh -huh. energy uh-huh mm -hmm. and like uh -huh. the same the, yeah i don't know there's also like it's interesting there's a later episode with uh, a cardassian where where uh, o'brien's put through a cardassian trial Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. completely it's a great episode really funny really absurd of just like what this what a show trial is like under a completely authoritarian state and <laughs> if you look at this episode through that lens it's kind of interesting how like in the, in a cardassian trial the defendant is already guilty and mm -hmm. all that's left to do is find out right. like why mm -hmm. they did what they did and or then just, they have to, yeah yeah then they have yeah. to admit their fault to the state. And that's right. essentially mm -hmm. what the what that's... Amy Maritza wants to do here. He's like, look, yeah. I'm guilty. 
and my confession will force a reckoning, an honest reckoning. Is that the one where they try Odo, or Odo has to go there, or am I? Maybe it's O'Brien. Is it yeah, O'Brien? Oh, it's O'Brien. Yeah, O'Brien. Odo comes as uh, as O'Brien's basically um, right, lawyer. Uh, lawyer because he is, you know, since he worked He's on Tarek Nor. Well, yeah, I mean, he officially has a role in uh, the Cardassian legal system, or or yeah, it's yeah. It, it's clever how they work it in, yeah. Mm. What I like about the Cardassians um, as uh, as a race, as their their stereotypes uh, of the Cardassians, is that lying is is like integral to their yeah. personalities. Mm-hmm. And once once you're proven to be a liar, everything you say is suspect. How can we believe you moving forward if we already know that you're you're gonna lie? You're a liar. Mm-hmm. So you might be telling the truth, but it doesn't matter because you're a liar. So nothing you say is cr- true anymore. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that even goes back to that Ducat scene because Ducat like literally says to him, Cisco says, all we have him on for is that, you know, we caught him lying. It's like, is that what he's what you're charging mm-hmm. him for? Like lying? Because, you know, it's almost like this idea. It's just like, look, if you're gonna imprison a Cardassian for lying, like we're gonna be here all day, man. Like, like, like <laughs> yeah, it's part so of he's who breathing, are, basically. Yeah. Like yeah. Ferengi's like money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that yeah. sort of uh <laughs> Yeah. part of their culture if you're trying to make us feel shame it's not going to work you know like that kind of thing <laughs> we are actually coming to the yes. end of our time my friends so if you have any other final mm-hmm. thoughts on this episode or any other things we didn't bring up that you want to mention uh now would be the time yeah mine is like how i want to talk to that guy's surgeon i'm really interested oh, in this plastic yep. surgery yeah. that they yeah, that made uh, him get look in like... on star trek mm-hmm. <laughs> wait a couple hundred years yeah Look like anything you want. In, uh... Who would you want to look like? Um, Uma Thurman. <laughs> Uma Thurman. Ooh, okay. All right. Ooh, I love it. Hey, yeah, like right. Poison Ivy Uma Thurman. Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, a good... yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd like to look like, I'd like my, my head to look like a pair of feet and then just like reverse all of my body from there so it looks like I'm okay. upside down the whole time. Huh. That'd be fun. Huh? Okay. Huh. Yeah. Wow. I thinker. would just That's like to look day. like myself, but 10 years older. I mean, <laughs> younger. Am I right, ladies? Am I right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm actually pretty oh, happy with, with where it is. You look amazing. Okay, just a little, you know, it's just like, you know, a little lift right there would be perfect. But oh, other yeah. than that, it's good. It's all good. <laughs> As someone who grew up basically being told I look like Harry Potter, I'm going to make my answer. I would want to look like Daniel Radcliffe. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to get tickets to see him and Merrily We Roll Along, but they sold out in like two seconds. Nice. Nice. Would have been nice. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it sold out. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't get tickets. I'm sorry. (laughs) Man. But I did see him in, I saw him in How to Succeed in Business. He was wonderful. Yeah. He's very talented. Yeah. Um, Well, any any recommendations or uh, any other, you know, just general thoughts before we, uh, I know Carrie loves to take these time to do a review of of a product sometimes. I haven't. I I, I don't, I didn't do a product review because I told about the funny thing that somebody said to me that one day. (laughs) Correct. Okay. (laughs) Anybody else, any recommendations or? Uh, Get out a big piece of paper, like the biggest you have and just draw on it for a while. Oh, it's, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I yeah 
if you I, haven't watched Rings of Power, I suggest getting into that. It's a really mm, Rings nice, of Power. They've done a nice yeah. job with that. You need to catch up. Yeah. Series. It's very good. Mm -hmm. Quite good. Quite good. And apparently it's the most expensive mm -hmm. television program ever created. So oh. oh, that explains why there's only like eight episodes. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> they poured the money like... into each episode. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's why I know I definitely would want to watch it because I want it to succeed because it's an Amazon show, which means that I, I don't want the price of my paper towels to go up. So that's fair. Mm. That's fair. <laughs> all all Mike's TV watching is just um actually business moves. So mm -hmm. mm -hmm. all about the money. As I recall. <laughs> well, good. Well, then, on that note, I guess we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll fade to black on this episode. I don't have a song uh, to think of, or anyone have anything they want to end the episode with? Any sort of personal? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> any watch cries? Any? Uh... <laughs> I think that because it was such a dark episode, we should just sing the Doors song, um, "Paint It Black." We should just sing "Paint It Black." <laughs> oh, I, I, I... Oh, man. Don't think I can pull that out of my head offhand. Yeah. But you go first. I see a red door and I want, want to paint, paint it black. black. Da, da, da.